Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we have a Womp Womp Wednesday, the wompiest of Wednesdays. The drinking game was here for just one week before we had to revamp the rules to the Jimmy Garoppolo blowing out his ACL. And uh, this week we also almost welcomed Jared Brown. Almost. Because we also have David Newman. Oh, hi. David Hello. Newman's here. And, and we see, the thing is, we had this whole show, we had this whole panel discussion planned out, and we actually executed on an hour-long panel discussion with David, Jared, myself. It was a fantastic episode. It was great. But due to a technical issue, we couldn't actually get Jared's audio on here. And so we had to make a decision to let Jared go and exist in his life and cook dinner and not be dead to the world and get back to his students and do all the grading things that he had to do uh, and kind of re-record the show uh, ourselves. You're just so. going to have to trust us that it was the best episode uh, that has ever existed. And, you know, uh, we're very sorry that you don't get it. I am still yeah. actually very mad about it because it was a phenomenal episode. <laughs> it, it was actually very good. Yeah. But uh, again, we're just going to hype this up. I'm sorry that you have to listen to like the leftovers right now. I'm, it was just the best. I'm angry. I might at some point actually just export the episode and cut out the silences <laughs> and just and just just so just you can see what it was it'll be it, like an audio like mad lib like just guess what jared was saying <laughs> during this silence uh i might it do could it be, it could be fun i might do it don't test me uh i've we've gone back we've gone back to uh our 2011 playoff beer anchor steam so i mean we're just getting all the feels this this episode because yeah. this episode is going to be catharsis part two for us because we're going to talk about the Chiefs game. We're going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, what the hell that means. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Chargers, uh, and then kind of wrap it all up and see what the hell all of this means. So let's get right into it, David. Let's get to the game where the Niners lost more than the game against the Chiefs. The Niners ran into a buzzsaw on Sunday. They lost to the Chiefs, but they lost more than just the game in Kansas City. So let's talk about the, the big story of the game. And I know you're going to think that it's Jimmy Garoppolo's missing ACL. Correct. But... To me, that's not actually the story of the game. That's the story that's just, uh, that's the story that, you know, that we're going to talk about that. We're going to get to it. But to me, I think the first thing we have to talk about are these struggles on defense. The Niners had a ton of trouble with the Chiefs in the first half, and they're not unusual. Lots of teams have had trouble with the Chiefs, but I feel like five drives, five scores, and, and no one except Richard Sherman having an above average grade on defense, that's, that's more than just having a bad game against the Chiefs. That is just abysmal. During a game like this, there's never one game, there's never one thing that explains everything. But if you were to pick the primary drivers for the Niners' kind of just abysmal performance on defense, what do you think that those factors were? You know, I think the the toughest thing, I mean, in a lot of ways, it would be easier to just like pick what went well, um, which I guess is mostly nothing. Um, but... I think this was really just a, it's largely about matchups, right. And, and about personnel. Like I, I, uh, and something that we've talked about for a very long time is like, I believe that defense is largely driven by the players, right. And your defensive performance is driven by the personnel that you have. Uh, and, and there's only so much you can really do from a scheme standpoint, um, to, to make a huge difference there, right. It's a little bit different than offense. So, uh, I just kind of felt like in this game, even going into it, that it was always going to be very difficult for the 49ers to slow them down because the Chiefs offense 
hitting it all cylinders going into it. I mean, the first couple weeks, right? Mahomes has looked amazing and uh, that offense was just clicking and they have so much talent at the skill positions there. And so it was just going to be a very tough matchup. And I think you saw the 49ers defensively still a very young team, right? Still a lot of players there that, that aren't uh, kind of proven reliable contributors and, and are going to be a little up and down from week to week. And so I think we saw them go up against an offense that was just, that had far superior talent level uh, and it was just tough for them to keep up. I think it is, it is probably more based on talent from a defensive perspective, but even then I'm not sure that, that the scheme really helped the 49ers. Actually, that's not true. The scheme I think is, is agnostic. I think the execution certainly didn't help the Niners because there were plays where the Niners just seemed like, like they were out of position or they didn't do one thing. And all of a sudden Mahomes exploited that and the chiefs exploited that. There are three examples I can think of off the top of my head. One is going to be Adrian Colbert when the 49ers got hit with Yankee, where it is, it's, it's, it's a route that they probably see all the time in practice. But Tyreek Hill runs to the corner and then comes back to the post. That little move, it, it's, it, it sends Adrian Colbert into a bit of a spin. He trips, and all of a sudden Tyreek Hill catches a pass for a long bomb. You know, you think of penalties, which are kind of a pain in the ass, but whatever. Then you think to Malcolm Smith not actually playing his responsibility in the slot and carrying a defender up the field. Instead, he tries to get out to the flat, and all of a sudden you've got Kelsey wide the hell open. I think, honestly, Richard Sherman is right when he says that it, it's not necessarily the defensive calls per se, but if the Niners were just to execute better, that they would be better on defense. Yeah, I, I mean, again, execution is a big part of it. I think a lot of people kind of naturally like to throw a lot of blame on on the coaches, right? Throw a lot of blame on the coordinators. Um, but a, a lot of it comes down to, like, the players got to go out there and do their job. And when you see things uh, that we saw defensively where it was just like, you know, guys running free in the secondary, right? There's nobody, uh, you know, n- none of your coverage defenders are, are nearby able to make a play on them. Um, or you see, I mean, I think the penalties are kind of part of that. Uh, you know, I've always been one. I don't really pay too much attention. But when you get that, like, just absurd number of penalties and, and a lot of them being just kind of discipline related, right? It's not like it, it's one thing if you are in coverage and you, you kind of get beat and you get, you know, you have pass interference, right? It, it's more of a you got beat. That's like a player thing. That's not like something that can be coached up or or that really should be a focus there. But when, when it's a discipline thing, like guys jumping off sides and, and just having kind of like silly penalties like that. It's, it's tough. It's tough to overcome, especially again, when you're kind of at that talent deficiency, it's going to be, you're putting yourself in a hole. I think the penalty that bothers me the most is the jumping off sides penalty because last week it cost them a, a pretty key first down. And, and it was, it was, it was obvious that like, Hey, they're going to come up in hard account. Don't jump. And they absolutely jumped. And then in this week, again, they got caught at least twice jumping off sides. That's just not this like that to me goes beyond discipline. That to me is like you never make that mistake again. And yet they still continued to make that mistake. And I just don't know what the hell you do there as a coach, because that just to me is on the players. Now, the second half was a bit of a different story for the 49ers because they did clamp down a little bit in the second half. Why was it something schematically? Was it an adjustment? Was it anything that Robert Sala did in the second half that made the 49ers defense just a little better that allowed them to get back into the game? 
you know, I, at least for me, there wasn't anything that that really especially stood out. You know, I, I don't think that there was a whole lot that they changed um, schematically that I noticed. You know, I don't know that, that that players were necessarily raising the games because you had some young players get in, right? Obviously, uh, Sherman goes down, Akella Witherspoon gets in there, uh, DJ Reed played a good number of snaps, but those players didn't play like especially well when they were out there. So it wasn't like you had somebody coming off the bench and kind of uh, changing the game a little bit and, and having some sort of spark there. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, to me, the only thing that I could really fall back on is that maybe the Chiefs is kind of like let off the gas a little bit. And, and I think there's also just an element of they, they weren't going to continue to score every drive, right? You have five five touchdowns on I mean, five really? drives. Like, really? like even against shitty NFL defenses, it's just very unlikely that a team's going to go eight, nine drives in a game and score touchdowns on every single one of them. Right. So I think there was this kind of a natural, uh, well, they're not going to continue to be that good. So, uh, I don't know. I, was there anything in your mind that kind of stuck out to me? There wasn't a whole lot to point to. No, there wasn't a lot. I think when, when you get out into the third quarter, their first third down that forced them to punt was a drop pass by Conley. And, and I think that, the team probably started executing a little better, but I do think the they started relying a bit more on the run game. And and that, honestly, if the Niners' defense can do one thing, it's actually stop the run. It's something they've done fairly well this season. And so I, I do think it was probably more of them putting their, or taking their foot off the gas. But you look at some of the players that got in to, to play a little bit later in the second half. Akella Witherspoon got 40 snaps. DJ Reed got 51 at free safety. I would love to think that it was because those young players came in and offered something to the defense that other players did not, but I don't think that was the case. Yeah. Neither of those players had a remarkably good game in the second half, and, and so I, I don't know that it was really much of anything that that stopped the Chiefs, but, well, the, the Chiefs. And, and honestly, the Niners' success and keeping their defense on the field a bit longer, giving their defense some rest, I think probably helped as well. So I think that then takes us to the elephant in the room and, and the question that I got more frequently on Twitter this week, which was about Robert Sala and, and whether or not he's a good defensive coordinator. So w- where do you stand on Sala right now? Do you think that we know enough about his coaching ability to deem him a a good defensive coordinator? Or do you think there's still more information to gather? I do think it's tough. I, I, I think that I'm still kind of, you know, and this is something that I kind of have gone back and forth on. I, I think that we're probably still in a uh, need more information to feel like really confident um, in, in kind of an evaluation of him going forward. But I will say that there are some things that seem pretty inexcusable to me that that, that he's been doing that have. Uh, I, so, again, we talk about defense there's only so much you can do from a scheme standpoint. A lot of it's player-driven, talent-driven there. But as a defensive coach, what you should be doing is being able to identify the players that are on your roster that are actually good and what they do well and at least putting them in position to do those things well. And I think there are some very uh, obvious to me examples where he's not doing that. I, I started the defensive line. Um, his his defensive line rotations so far through the first three weeks have been very frustrating. I think you see... Uh, uh, players getting snaps that don't don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, even in sub packages, even when they get to their nickel, uh, they're still having a nose tackle on the field a large majority of the time. Like you still see either Earl Mitchell or DJ Jones out there, and and you're just kind of wasting snaps at that point. I don't know if it's because he's too concerned about stopping the run, um, or or what exactly the motivation is behind that. 
But the fact that you're seeing somebody like Earl Mitchell get more interior snaps in your sub packages to rush the passer than Solomon Thomas uh, is just completely insane to me. Like, I don't know how you can possibly justify moves like that. I think to, to further the point, you think the, the defensive line rotation is an issue. I think Malcolm Smith is an issue. If you look at him, I think that they paid him handsomely, which is a problem with both Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. But I can only imagine that that was driven in large part by Robert Sala. They probably said, Robert Sala, who do you want? He said, get me Malcolm Smith. And then Malcolm Smith got some offer that was way overblown. And Robert Sala was like, I still need that dude. Uh, and so they paid him $23 million, right? They're, they're giving him fullback money. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and oh so... God, it's sad, but it's true. It is, it is. But you, you look at Malcolm Smith and you look at the, the game against Kansas City was really his first set of meaningful snaps with the 49ers because he's been injured for you know the entire last year and, and most of the burgeoning year in 2018. His 29.9 grade against Kansas City was by far the worst grade on defense against Kansas City. There were clear lapses. I've already mentioned one of them. He didn't carry his defender, Kelsey, on a play that it was pretty obvious that he should have. I mean, he's supposed to be matching on that play, and that is a play that he should know what his responsibility is. I also tweeted out a play where I called Earl Mitchell, to your point, a sliding glass door, because he's not the best nose tackle on the team. It's probably DJ Jones. But there's a missing player in the B-gap. Who's likely that player based on the way the defense is structured? It's probably Malcolm Smith. Just going to go ahead and put that out there. <laughs> so uh, at the, at the, you, look at, you look at his assignments by and large, and there's a reason his grade is that low. It's because he is missing assignments. And, it, and if you're looking at a defensive coordinator who's saying, this is my guy, this is the guy I trust, then that's like the, your boss or your supervisor or your VP saying, I'm going to put this guy in charge because he's amazing. Why? Because I had a few beers with him a couple years ago and we had a great night. That doesn't make him a good person at work. It just doesn't. And and the the people who promote their friends or people they like are not necessarily the best at their job. Robert Sala's job is identifying talent and putting them in the best position to win, as you said. And he his, he's consistently not doing that. And that, I think, is the most worrying part. Definitely. I think Malcolm Smith and Earl Mitchell are the two big, biggest examples of like... But it goes deeper than that, though, because you've got Eric Armstead at Leo. We all oh, knew that totally, was going to be a yeah. problem. Everyone, the whole world knew... Eric Armstead at Leo, that's going to be a disaster. And sure enough, it was. Yeah, and and again, I think like, and and these, some of those would even I would even say are justifiable. Like right, like we were uh, on the subset of people that thought that Solomon Thomas was worth trying on the edge, right? That thought that there was the athleticism there based on the way <laughs> that he tested and kind of looked during those situations in college and there's positional value there so if, yeah. if he if he hits at edge you play him it's at much, edge right it's much better to have uh you know a, a better player on the edge than it is in the interior so yeah definitely worth giving him a shot but it became very clear that like that wasn't his best spot right you see him move inside and he just feels much more natural there and is much more productive when he's on the inside and so i don't know at this stage how you're still not giving him those snaps and so I think you you see players like Earl Mitchell and Malcolm Smith, and they got these kind of bigger contracts for what I think they were actually worth. And they're these veteran players. And it's one thing if you're like, okay, these are guys we want to have around. They're good locker room players. We think that they can help teach this like largely very young defense and, and kind of help mentor them. That's fine. Every snap that they're on the field is a waste. There is a better player on the bench that should be there in their place on this defense that, that, that is just like being wasted out there again, Earl Mitchell getting like half the snaps or something like that. Um, and, and again, largely like it's not all base situations. He's not out there just being a nose tackle. He's out there when you should have a pass rusher 
Like the number of snaps that you're getting Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner all on the field at the same time is way too low. Like, it, I, I just don't know how you justify some of those decisions. This was the first game where Solomon Thomas got more than 50% of the defensive snaps. The first game out of three. Uh, and that, I think, is is not, it's just not right. It's not good talent evaluation. And still, though, largely, like, even when he's out there, like, still largely on the edge, right? Only getting a handful of snaps inside, and it's just, like, it's not enough. And and when you, you see him win on the inside relatively consistently when you put him in there, like, I don't know how you, you don't decide that's something you need to do more of. Yeah, it, it definitely is maddening. I, I think that there are... I'm not sold that he's a good coach. I don't think there are issues necessarily with his scheme. I do think his decisions are poorly made. I think you look at his personnel decisions, but then also you look at some of the defensive calls that he chooses to make. Cover three deep in the red zone is a dumb call. There's no way to say it. There's, it's just a dumb call. You, there's there's too much ground for that safety to cover in a compressed area for cover three, for pure cover three, to be an effective strategy in the red zone gave and, up a touchdown and yet he touchdown. consistently yeah. calls cover three in the red zone it is maddening absolutely maddening and so i think that his decision making is is suspect and so that that i think is going to be the, the albatross that hangs around his neck and up until i see otherwise i think i'm i'm I think I have enough information to say that Robert Sala's decision-making is questionable, especially yeah. around personnel and especially around certain defensive calls in the red zone. Uh, he can overcome those as a coach. He still has time. Uh, but I, I worry that it's too much time than the 49ers have to give, although they've got one more season to give. We just we just earned another season of development. It's going to be so much fun. We did. There was a bright spot against Kansas City because the run game was especially effective against the Chiefs. Matt Breida had another strong day. He averaged nine yards a carry. Alfred Morris had a bit better day, even though he didn't have as gaudy of a stat line. David, you extol the virtues of the running game. You think the running game is <laughs> the single most important part oh, man. of NFL football. You think it's going to bring football into the modern era, running the football why was the running game so effective against the Chiefs? I have heard that you do have to establish the run and, and maybe even stop the run in order to be a playoff team. Is that a thing? Friend of the pod, George Shahuri, he says nice. that you establish the play action in the preseason. You in the offseason. Offseason. In by, the offseason. By, by just slathering news uh, feeds with about how you're going to run the ball. How much you can run. Really and sets it up. The Niners, I, I believe Next that, level stuff. I believe Robert Sala buys into the hype and actually tries to stop the run in an era where you don't. I believe that Kyle Shanahan doesn't care <laughs> and would rather pass. But still against the Chiefs, the, the running game was effective, and I do think it was because of the effectiveness of the tackles. Mike McGlinchey had a pretty good game. He had a run block rate of 84.7, and he did a very, very good job. Probably one of his better games against the run game, uh, in the run game. And Joe Staley looked more like his former self. You had runs on both the left and the right from Matt Breida on the outside that broke for big gains, one behind Staley, the other behind McGlinchey. The Niners' run game is now ambidextrous. You can't just pick where it's going to run and stack against one side. And that's because of the play of the tackles. And I think that Mike, that this is exactly what the team wanted when they drafted Mike McGlinchey, and they're getting it. And I think that they're getting better play from person. I think Lakin Tomlinson is a better guard than when we originally acquired him from Detroit. And, and, and all that gets you a better run game because you ultimately just have a better offensive line that's better equipped to block in the run game. Definitely. I, I think you look at uh, Breida's most successful runs, and it is 
uh, on those runs that are kind of on the edge right now going off left end. So outside to the left uh, where Joe Staley is going to be at 9.3 yards per carry there um, out to the right end. 7.1 7.1 yards per carry. So it's, it's those edge runs where Breed is really ripping off kind of those big chunks of yards. Um, and I think, yeah, absolutely. That's something that they've been doing well right now for whatever run blocking is worth right now. They're the third highest graded run block team uh, in the league right now through three weeks. It's probably one of the, the things that they're doing best right now. So uh, absolutely. That's something that's been kind of a strong point for them. Uh, something that was uh, obviously very effective in this game when they were able to go to it. Um, and and I think, yeah, you look at the the personnel, like you mentioned is largely set up for them, I think is in a much better spot for what Shanahan really wants in that area. All right. So what happens now? Let's get to the actual big thing that happened in the game. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL doing the thing that he should never do. Don't cut back against any defender in the NFL. Just don't run out of bounds, run out of bounds. You're a quarterback. You're, you're, that's exactly right. You're a quarterback for a reason. I know you used to be a linebacker, and that was cool. Guess what? So did I. Me too. It doesn't. I, we're not large people. No, we are not. That doesn't mean I'm going to go try and body some NFL cornerback just because I'm like, I can cut back. <laughs> I, I could get a yard or two. Not going to happen. No. Not even, oh, my, not even in the flag football games that I play do I try and cut back on the sideline just because. Yeah, man, I'm ducking out of bounds. I ain't like that. Like, no, <laughs> just it's not worth it. No, not at all. So Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL. We have, I guess, uh, five ACLs between the three of us. Uh, one whole missing ACL. Did we learn? Checks out. Yeah, math, he, he, math he, checks out. I'm not good at math on the fly, but Jimmy Garoppolo season is now over. We are basically two and a half games into the season where Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to break out. Did we learn anything new about Jimmy Garoppolo after these two and a half games? Or are we left in the same place that we were after last year with what we hope to gain from our franchise quarterback? You know, I don't I don't think we learned a whole lot through three games. Um, I, I do have a, a kind of larger takeaway from the past game, but uh, we'll save that for a minute. Right. So looking at kind of some of the common criticisms of him through these first three games and it's stuff like he's holding on to the ball too long. I don't think there's a whole lot there to support that. Right. So time to throw right now uh, or through his, his time this season about 2.6 seconds, which is, is on the upper half of things, but it's not absurd. It's not like one of the highest in the league. I think that the thing that people are, are latching onto there is his time to throw when he's sacked, when he's sacked, it's because he's in the pocket for, you know, five, six, seven seconds. And, and, Against Detroit, some of the sacks that he did take were those high second sacks. And I think that there's probably another issue there that I know that we're going to get to. So yeah. I'll let you continue. But but I think yeah, that's, so, that's what they're talking. So about. I think that's part of it. And, and I think that's something that you should kind of expect Shanahan offenses to be right. They don't run a lot of quick game stuff. So of uh, of all of Jimmy's dropbacks, only seven dropbacks uh have what we would call quick game which is basically you know the three-step stuff the the old school west coast stuff right so whenever they're using that kind of three-step timing whether they're in the gun or under center doesn't really matter um but those sort of quick routes where they're looking to get the ball out only seven of those out of like i think 117 dropbacks or something like that so it's not a large part of the offense right now shanahan really it's like seven percent it's a very less less than seven percent Uh, On the fly math. It's a small number, right? It's not something that they do a whole lot. You think of Shanahan's offense, it's 
play action, right? So play action is longer developing further downfield routes, and that's backed up by his average depth target. His average uh, depth of target was around 10 yards, which was one of the highest in the league. Not quite Patrick Mahomes level, which is at like 12 or something like that absurd. Um, but still, they're they're looking to push the ball downfield. It's really the intermediate area that's the big area that they want to attack in the passing game. So that's kind of naturally going to lend itself to holding on the ball a little bit longer than average uh, because you're gonna, you need time to let that stuff develop. So I don't think that's a whole lot there. The accuracy, I don't think also is is really changed a whole lot from last season. Last season, he was one of the most accurate passers in in football. Um, this year, based on all the ball location charting stuff that we're doing, still was top 10 in basically every split. So maybe not quite as good uh, as he was during that five-game stretch, but not low enough to say like, whoa, there's a huge problem here, right? It, it could be just, uh, this is a weird small sample, but still largely very good there. So yeah, I think ultimately, like I, when I look at it, the passing game as a whole, I don't see a whole lot from Jimmy that changes my opinion of him based on what I had coming into the season. I think there are two things that we are probably, and that I think 49ers media has undersold in terms of its effect on the 49ers passing game. I think the first is the quality of the defenders that the 49ers have gone up against. I think the Vikings defense has been very good. And while they've had some up and down games, they have quality corners and they Harrison Smith had a fantastic game against the 49ers in week one, and it was still a game that was within striking distance for the 49ers, which I think just goes to show how good Shanahan's game plan and scheme was. But then you look at the Lions and you look at Darius Slay, a cornerback, not a free safety, as I said last week. <laughs> David, I know you weren't here last week, but uh, I was looking at a, a, a depth chart and thinking of a name and reading another, and I, I basically said that Darius Slay was a free safety. He's not. Not the first time. No. Uh, but <laughs> I think that the the cornerback quality and I think Matt Patricia's game plan was very, very good. He said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and cover these wide receivers man to man because I don't think they're going to beat my corners. And quite frankly, they didn't. And I think that the, that's one thing that is important to note. The other thing which I think exacerbates that issue is that Marquise Goodwin is Jimmy Garoppolo's security blanket. There was a throw he made against Kansas City where Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, he throws a ball on time in a fantastic location to Marquise Goodwin. And Marquise Goodwin catches the ball. And the moment he catches the ball, he gets hit by the safety coming downhill. It's a reception. It's a first down. It's a tight window throw. I don't know if you graded it as a tight window throw. In my mind, it was a tight window throw. But overall, those are the kinds of throws that I don't think he trusted other wide receivers to make. And I don't think that other wide receivers had the, the speed or route running in order to do that. Garcon's a different kind of wide receiver. Definitely. Yeah. Pet, Pettis had some of those routes, and, and he got himself open. And he caught a couple of great passes against some of these DBs. But, but overall, I think that the lack of Marquise Goodwin in, these, in, these, uh, in half of the Vikings game and, and in the Lions game really affected Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that goes to just show that really, really good wide receivers and really good wide receiving core or a really good wide receiving core, is really needed to beat some of the defensive game plans that the 49ers are going to see. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. That's kind of my larger takeaway, right, with the passing game. And so I think at this stage, if you're playing a lot of zone coverage against a Kyle Shanahan offense, you're just asking to be destroyed, right? Like, it's just not going to work. Like, he's going to be able to get guys free and be is going to be able to take advantage of some of the weak spots in those zone coverages. So... I think you're going to see a lot of teams 
really take that Lions approach, right? Where they're going to play a lot of man coverage. They're going to play a lot of cover one, especially. So I don't know uh, if you remember back to some of the the scheme month episodes that we've done, but we talked about single high defenses and, and kind of why they're valuable. And from a pass game standpoint, it's because they protect the middle of the field, right? So you think about cover one, and it's really you're getting the the deep safety in the middle of the field. Typically, unless you're bringing some sort of blitz, you're getting another uh, defender to kind of roam underneath and be able to jump routes there. And so it's really strong in the middle of the field and you kind of force quarterbacks to throw to the outside and make some kind of tougher, more difficult throws out there. And so I think that's kind of a strategy that you're going to see teams take against the 49ers because Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback, right? When we we kind of went through his profile and this is what he's very good at. The thing that we saw last year was just incredible at throwing to receivers who were open or had a step of separation, right? It was incredibly accurate in those situations and just rarely missed on those chances, right? He had a few deep ones where that was kind of an issue last year, but largely if a receiver was open, he was hitting them and they were getting some yards out of it. And so I think, that has still largely been the case this year. The difference is there are fewer open receivers. You're, you're seeing more throws that have to go into tight coverage, more throws where the, there, there's contested situations. And those are, I think, kind of the difference in his performance. If you look in, if you're looking for differences in like box score numbers, there, like why is his all of his stats down? Like, I think that's the biggest driver for me is that there's more throws into tight coverage and those are just more difficult for every single quarterback. They're not going to be as good throwing in those situations. Those situations are less stable. So they're going to be, you know, a, a more wider variance from season to season on those type of passes. Um, and, and so that's kind of the thing that I've noticed this year is receivers overall, a group that I thought was going to be pretty good is, is kind of disappointed and haven't really been getting open the way that I would expect them to. And I do think that if we're talking about the if we're talking about this in the context of the Chiefs game, the Chiefs offense is not you, you can't just dismiss the Chiefs offense as like, oh, well, what about the defense? The Chiefs offense is fantastic. Yes. What what they did against the Niners and what they've been doing so far in this league is remarkable. I mean, I, I tweeted out a play of an RPO where they had two they were attacking two different levels on the backside of the run. And, and it was just an amazing play. I mean, down down to the fact that they ran a sweep so that the offensive lineman didn't get downfield too quickly to allow the second level route to develop. So you didn't get a penalty. I mean, the play was beautifully designed and it ended up hitting uh, on the second deep post or really, really a slant. It was a deeper slant, really. Um, that stuff is amazing. They're running some staple concepts. Their screen game was amazing. That screen game that they ran on third down where Travis Kelsey ran a middle screen, but it looked like they had two other After options. Faked, yeah, faked outside to one, faked back to the other side on i think it was hill or something and then like went to the Tyreek middle screen and then went yeah back, yeah and that's it's fully designed to go to kelsey in the middle it's yeah. not intended to go to the others but they had so many window dressing items that it was like i don't know what i'm looking at oh god kelsey's got a first down it, i mean the play design is amazing mahomes is executing at a high level he is playing quarterback at an elite level the scary thing was like this was his by far probably worst game of the season yes uh and then he, he missed was still, like receivers. obviously yeah there was some it could have been worse he missed some guys downfield absolutely sure. he had some drop he had one, at least one drop pass that yeah. resulted in a punt so i mean i think that you can't take this game away from the chiefs they had a fantastic game plan but uh, i do i think at the end of the day think that despite robert sala's poor decision making like another thing on the decision making fire there was a play where robert sala is going to blitz two players off of the left side of the offense, but it's false start. Chiefs get a penalty. Okay. 
And then they don't run the exact same play, but they run a very, very similar pressure package where it's pretty obvious that you're going to pressure off that same side and blitz two guys. Andy Reid called the screen to the other side because he's like, well, if they're going to blitz and they're going to call the same play after this false start, then we're going to run the screen and they pick up the first down. Like that's just basic play calling. That's Madden button mashing. I'm going to call the exact same play again. When you've got to think to yourself, they saw our front. They saw what we were going to do. We have to change it up here. So, so I think that uh, when, when, when we're recapping the Chiefs game, I think, yes, Robert Sala absolutely is to blame when it comes to his decision-making in terms of personnel and in terms of his play calls, especially in the red zone. But I do think that execution was also equally at fault because you can't have Adrian Colbert running in pirouettes and falling down. You we need more spin moves in coverage. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, so I do think that you, know, you can't have Malcolm Smith out there messing up assignments. And I do think that the Niners were able to get back into it because of their run game, because they can execute some things very well. And ultimately, I think the the biggest loss of the game was, was of course, Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and now I guess the question is, what happens now? The Niners have talked about bringing in other players. And so I guess in, in one sentence, tell me why the Niners should or should not bring in another quarterback to back up CJ Beathard and old Nick Mullins. Um, it doesn't matter uh as long as they don't trade i think that's the the main thing which you know thankfully shanahan came out and said uh that that's not an option they're looking to explore if you want to bring in a veteran to to be a backup because you don't trust nick mullins yet fine like whatever i don't think there's uh, a, a lot of difference between those two options but you're not bringing in somebody that's going to change your your outlook for this season right you're going to roll with cj bethard um and that's is going to be what it is and it's probably not going to be great but um this team isn't a, it's not like you you have a team that's ready to contend and we need to go and replace our quarterback you know it's not like the vikings uh last year where, where bridgewater goes down okay we need to go get somebody that can still be good enough because the rest of this team is ready to go like the the niners aren't in that spot yeah i think as long as you i think you ride beat hard as long as you can and, and then it's nick mullins time man bring on nick mullins i'm here for preseason hero I want to see the preseason <laughs> and the regular season. Let's do it. Uh, because honestly, Nick Mullins looked like the best quarterback on the team in the preseason. And you know what? My small, my small sample projection means Nick Mullins is going to be phenomenal in the regular season. Checks out. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Give me your spotlight player for the game because there were some bright spots. There were some players that played remarkably well. Uh, and we're going to highlight them right now. So give me your spotlight player. So I actually just realized this when I realized this was the next thing on the list. I get to change my spotlight player now because Jared stole mine the first time around. So uh, that's that's uh, that's Jared, what it is. Jared, I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry, Jared. Sorry, not sorry. Actually, I'm I'm excited to talk about George Kittle. So George Kittle is uh, is going to be the spotlight player for me. Um, I think really has just been uh, probably the strongest part of this offense uh, so far th- through the first three weeks. Had a great game uh, in this one. Had a what 92 overall grade. Um, was on our our team of the week this week. Um, just is really balled out. And I think you're, this you're is seeing his second out of three weeks that he's graded elite, right? He's had two out of three grades over 90, uh, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. He's, uh, I, again, he is kind of the focal point of this offense right now. He's the one guy, uh, that, that is consistently kind of getting open and making plays downfield. So yeah, so far, uh, has not two over 90, but at 92 in this one had an 82 in the first one. Uh, so has been, has been playing overall very well. Uh, I think you see what he's doing after the catch too, because this was something 
that I think we were kind of hoping for, right? Like when, when we talked about Kittle, when we first got, when he first got drafted, it's, he's got all of this athleticism with the number one spark tight end in that draft class um, is it, really kind of a freaky athlete. And so seeing what he can do after the catch, I think has been very impressive average nearly 10 yards after the catch per reception in this game. I think he forced, uh, I want to say like four or five missed tackles. Well, I think if, if you're looking for a play that's emblematic, it's the play where he catches the ball and avoids like a defender and ends up getting the first down, even though he caught the pass with three or four yards before the sticks. So, I mean, his, his ability to shift and move and pick up yards and get a first down. Cause I think that was a third down play ends up, getting the the Niners a continuing or it ends up continuing the drive for the 49ers and I want to also take a moment to defend him that first catch or, or that first pass to him not a drop it's not a drop defender hit that out all right so we're not giving him a drop for that defender knocked it out I'm gonna go ahead and say he's got to have strong hands you can do what you want, but he, we didn't give him a drop for that so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw that out there yeah uh, that the, that's uh yeah so I think again He's been uh, a player that I've been really excited about for a while. He was uh, a guy that I chose as kind of my breakout player on offense when we did the season preview, uh, you know, however many weeks ago that was. And, and so it's just been nice to see him kind of come out, play very well, be a big part of the offense and and uh, and you know, kind of be a player that is what we expected him to be. All right, well, my spotlight player that my spotlight player this week is going to be none other than one Mr. Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald, the crusher of souls, catcher of touchdowns, the most favorite person in all of David's universe, oh, dear God. had the uh, best game of his career, and I figured who better to discuss that game <laughs> than you one, Mr. David Newman. Talk to me about how awesome Vance McDonald is. I mean, I will say that like watching that play, my soul hurt just a little bit, so I can only imagine how Chris Conte felt. He literally, uh, literally stiff-armed a dude onto injured reserve. Like just into the earth, like through the ground. It was like it was almost like his stiff arm caused some like Bane level shit with whatever was going on with Heinz Love Heinz Field there just like starts falling apart. Uh, it's what it felt like. I don't know. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's a miracle that he caught the fucking ball to begin with so, to even make that happen. So what's a miracle is that someone in my in my college buddies daily fantasy league actually started Vance McDonald and and helped ride him to i think he ended up in like third place or whatever he is said he his, secretly a steelers blogger uh no he is not but he did set his lineup eight minutes before the deadline uh and so nice. i think he was probably just trying to fit random players in <laughs> and he lucked out and ended up i think finishing third uh, or maybe fourth but yeah so vance mcdonald is actually not my spotlight player although i do and will forever take every opportunity to get you to rant about vance mcdonald uh but my actual spotlight player is one mr kyle use check Still have to look his name up on the Googles to spell it correctly in the show notes, but I think he played the best game of his of his of this year against Kansas City. He had 50 snaps, and, and I think that he's becoming an equal weapon finally uh, in the passing game. He's got those routes that he apparently runs every now and again that puts him wide open on the sideline. And you know what? That's all you need him to do: a good 40, 50 yard route, get him to the end zone. I think it's great. I was actually surprised at the number of snaps that he played this week. 50 snaps is not nothing. He didn't come off the field often. And I think a big piece of that is because of his success as a pass blocker as well as a run blocker. When you think of what a running back does in the passing game, this is why we were attracted to Jarek McKinnon 
in the offseason, it's because his pass block grade was also just as high as his receiving grade. And I think that's the territory that Kyle Juszczyk is entering, where he's actually becoming a fairly good pass blocker, and that means he doesn't have to come off the field. And that means that the offense becomes a bit more multiple because you don't tip your hand with formations. So I think that while I'm not ready to declare the fullback back in football, I think Kyle Juszczyk as a player for the 49ers offense has actually done some good things, and he had a really good game against Kansas City. Yeah, I think one one thing that I would add with him uh, that will be interesting going forward is, uh, especially if Brita is kind of banged up, and and you know I don't know what his situation is going to be going forward, but they're kind of without a strong receiving back right now, right? With, with, without McKinnon, and so one of the things that he did in Baltimore um, that's kind of appealing is he was often the third down back there. Uh, it was often pass blocking, right? He wasn't always going out in the routes. Uh, sometimes be a check down, but he, it was largely we're going to go six man protection here and, and use checks going to be the back that's in this situation. I think you could see that sort of thing going forward for the 49ers. Um, also, uh, one thing to note with him, too, if he does end up with that sort of role, uh, CJ Beathard targeted running backs on his throws more than at a higher rate than any quarterback we have in our database uh, going back to 2006 last season. So uh, he's going to throw running backs the ball if they're on the field. And, and, and so I would expect if he's going to continue to get some of those snaps that he's going to see a pretty solid volume of passes coming his way. You don't get fantasy advice often on this show, uh, but we told you to bet the over for the Kansas City game, which isn't fantasy advice. I get this betting advice, and that turned out to be true. Uh, and uh, we told you to get George Kittle in your fantasy leagues in the yep. preseason. That turned out to be true. All I'm saying is, you might want to target a 49ers running back in the passing game. If you're in a PPR league. If you're in a deep league, PPR absolutely should be doing that. Uh, honorable mention to Richard Sherman. He was the, yes. he was your original spotlight player before you went up and stole Jared's spotlight player. <laughs> uh, straight thieved George Kittle from underneath Jared, which Damn is... Damn right. He was mine first. Uh, I, okay, yeah, that's fair. But, but nevertheless, uh, Richard Sherman, give me your quick... One sentence reason why Richard Sherman should be a spotlight player this week. Uh, he's given up one catch in 120 coverage snaps so far this season before he got hurt. So. And, his, and his pass defense against Kansas City on that one deep post uh, was amazing. It was good. I, I will say... It was with, underthrown. With those, it is underthrown, which you you don't want to completely take credit away from the defender, right? Because in order for a defender to get a pass breakup in those situations, they need to play it right. They need to not get pass interference, right? They need to be playing the pocket, which he relatively did. in phase. Um, he did get toasted before that though. Let's like, let's be fair. Uh, if that is a better throw, that's a, that's a touchdown. Um, but yeah, played it as well as he possibly could have in that situation. And dude's just not getting targeted. Only six targets so far through three games. Uh, I mean, the Lions completely avoided his side of the field uh, during that game. So I, I think so far with what we've seen, and it's, it's a bummer that he's now going to miss a couple weeks, uh, it looks like there. But he's been, I think, as good as you possibly could have expected coming in considering his situation. I think irrespective of where how many games he misses, I am, I've said it on Twitter already, but I want to start the campaign to vote that man into the Pro Bowl. I do not want the fan vote to limit that guy from the Pro Bowl. Let's give him a million dollars. I want yeah, that. Let, like, absolutely. Vote for that dude. It's one of the few times fans get to decide how much a player gets paid. And <laughs> I want Jed York's money to go to as many players as humanly possible. I want Richard yes. Sherman to get paid. Vote for that man for the Pro I don't care what his stat line is. I don't care if he ends up getting roasted every snap from here to Timbuktu. I don't care. Vote that man of the Pro Bowl. <laughs> get that man some money. 
and let's make it happen. 49ers fans, I know you can do it. So let's get onto the Chargers then. Let's go. Let's pull a Bill Belichick and say, well, the Chiefs game was much, uh, much sadness. It really was. Uh, very sad. It was very, very, very sad. Um, but it's now time to focus on the next game. And, and the next game is with our fearless leader, one Mr. Casey Jarrett Bethard. It's the sequel. CJ Bethard Part 2. <laughs> beat harder. <laughs> Last year we beat hard. But you know what? We're coming back stronger than ever. We're going to beat harder this year. <laughs> is it, are we being beat or are we beating? A little bit of both, you know? Uh, we're just going to mix it up. All uh, right. N- number one question about Mr. Be- Mr. I can't even say his damn name. Bethard. Uh, can he throw to the left side of the field? Uh, no. Uh, that's a strong no. So... I mean, this was something that we kind of identified last year a little bit during his uh, his brief stint, uh, or maybe too long of a stint as starting quarterback last year. Um, just really struggled with ball location, um, with velocity, throwing to his left side, which is a tough thing. I mean, one of the things we talked about uh, during scheme month this year, right, when we had Zach Robinson on talking about quarterback play, and, and the thing that he kind of identified as the most difficult throw to make is throwing to that kind of like intermediate, sideline area to your left as a right-handed quarterback, right? It's just a really tough throw to make. Um, but he was especially bad throwing over there. So <laughs> when you when you look at... Uh, he was a special kind of bad. Yeah, it was just not great. Um, so when, when you look at, I, I think, um, I forget the snap count breakdown that I had, but 42 qualifiers um, in terms of targeting outside of the numbers to the left side of the field. Uh, Bethard had the 41st grade. So... The one player who was 42nd, Matt Moore. That's right. I believe 49ers uh, tryout try candidate, yeah. Matt Moore. I love that the only reason that he's not actually trying out is because apparently his arm is completely gone. His arm is cooked. And so it's one of those things where it's like, all right, well, arm actually cooked and he admits it or arm is a noodle arm and can't throw left. Let's just go ahead and run concepts to the right. Like that, this is the world we live in. Oh, man, it's going to be so fun. This is a game on the road. It's a game on the road in a soccer stadium, in a stadium where opposing fans tend to show up. And and I do think that C.J. Beathard has a lot of experience playing on the road because he used to tour with a band called Nickelback. And perhaps you've heard of them. Perhaps you've heard of them. They they want you to look at their photographs frequently and often. And C.J. Beathard will hold up a picture of himself playing quarterback at Iowa, and he will say, look at this photograph! And it's, you know, I do think that his experience as a, as a tour having band member is going to serve him well when he's on the road uh, against the Chargers. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Um, I think, no, re- realistically, um, I think the one thing that I'm going to be looking for with Bethard in um, the kind of a hopefully a difference between year one to year two uh, last year, the thing that I think was most frustrating, right, which is always kind of frustrating with bad quarterback play is is not being able to take advantage of the open opportunities that are presented to you, right? You have an excellent offensive coach in Kyle Shanahan. Uh, he's going to do, you know, he's going to hold up his end of the bargain in terms of creating opportunities for this offense and getting guys open that most games you can kind of bank on that. Last year, even when he was throwing to open receivers, he just wasn't very good. So he was still one of the lowest graded quarterbacks throwing to receivers who were open or had at least a step of separation. Um, We're not expecting CJ Beathard to make the tough 
you know, super high end tight window throws, you know, into to tight coverage. Like that's just not something that's probably realistic for him as a player. But what you would like to see progression on is those open throws. So can he take more advantage of the stuff that Kyle Shanahan essentially hands to him? Or is he going to continue to, to struggle with that accuracy and, and miss those open players? Because if that's the case, this offense just doesn't have much hope. Are the Chargers going to give him a lot of opportunities to to actually make those open throws, though? Because you've got, you know, I mean, the Chargers defense is, the Chargers secondary specifically has yep. some players that you've got to worry about. You've got Derwin James, of course, friend of the pod. He, <laughs> he, he is doing some amazing things. I mean, his interception uh, in the last game against the Rams was amazing. It was great. It was everything you want from Derwin James. You've got, of course, uh, probably one of the best cornerbacks in the league in, in Casey Hayward. And you've got Melvin Ingram, who if you wait too long to throw the ball because those players are covered, he's going to be down your throat immediately. So uh, I'm not sure the Chargers are going to give him a lot of opportunities to throw the ball to open receivers. But if they do, you've got to hope he hits those throws. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really the only chance that they have. I mean, you're, you're basically hoping... Um, that this Chargers secondary again was was excellent last year, uh, one of the very best in the league, if not the best. Uh, they haven't been maybe quite to that level so far this year. You know, Casey Hayward hasn't been quite the same. Um, so maybe you're hoping that you're getting them kind of in an off stretch of the season, uh, and that you can take advantage of some stuff there. I mean, it's it's going to be tough, right? You you do run into a situation where I think the skill level is better on that side. And so, yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, the expectation shouldn't be that there's going to be a lot of open receivers there. I know that you're a huge fan of the run game, and I know that you are super happy that we spent a first-round draft pick on Matt Breida, a generational, generational talent, talent at running back. Got to get him up uh, up in the first round. We had to get him in the first him. round, actually, to get a running back of his talent. It was uh, it was a sacrifice we had to make, yep. but we were okay making it because now he is the rushing leader in the NFL, and our what drives wins, uh, as it you is. can tell from the standings. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So uh, I know that that while you are a huge fan of the running game, I do actually think that in in reality, the, the running game is going to be something I think the Niners may want to lean on against the Chargers to keep this game competitive because the Chargers do have some problems against the run. Overall, their defense is 26. If you look at DVOA, their per play efficiency. But if you look at their PFF grades against the run specifically, their PFF grades put them at the 30th ranking in terms of overall defense, which means that they've got some issues there. And when you look at what the Rams were able to do against the Chargers, the Rams were able to gash them over and over and over again, right up the middle, because they have a nose tackle on the field. Uh, so I think if the Niners have, a, if the Niners are going to have a chance in this game. It's going to be because C.J. Beathard is going to capitalize on hitting receivers when they're open, but it's, but it's because he's not going to have to get put in unfavorable situations because the Niners are going to be able to get positive yards and stay on schedule on first and second down with the run game. If they're able to do that and they're able to keep the game manageable for C.J. Beathard and he's not able, he's not required to have to make those tight window throws to continue to win the game, I think that's how the Niners have a chance. Uh, and it's because of... The, their prowess in the running game and the Chargers' inability to stop the run that the Niners have a chance. Absolutely. I mean, it, as much fun as it is to joke about the run game, I think that is really the one hope that they have, right? So if you think about the just kind of general underdog strategy, right? You want to shorten the game. You shorten the game, you have fewer plays. You it's the Army spirits. strategy. Absolutely. Like, uh, you're, you're basically 
saying that we want to, again, keep uh, what is a much better offense off the field, right? We want to try to control the ball, limit the number of plays that they have to run, limit the number of plays that we have to run. Because if you can run the ball successfully, sustain drives a little bit there, and then, you know, take some shots on play action, right? And get C.J. Beathard to take advantage of some of those opportunities. Like, that's that that's how the game script needs to go for them to have a chance to keep this game competitive or potentially pull out a win. Because, it, yeah, obviously asking C.J. Beathard to drop back and throw uh, 40, 50 times is not going to do it. And if they get down, like, that's what they're going to have to do, and it's going to be unfortunate. But, yeah, it, it, absolutely, if there is a path to them keeping this competitive... Uh, and potentially pulling out a win, it, it's that shortening the game, run the ball type of game script. If you're Ken Wisenhunt and, or you're Philip Rivers and you're running what I like to call the Yolo Bolo offense, uh, because Philip Rivers, I love that name. I I don't know oh if anyone God. else has come up with it, but I'm going to take credit for it. It's the Yolo Bolo offense because Philip Rivers wears a bolo tie and he throws the ball sometimes like just you know what YOLO. I'm just going to throw it to Mike Williams why? I mean when because you have 17 kids do you really give any shits anymore like my, my favorite is how who was it that said that he had a kid in Buffalo because there was nothing else to do? Oh my god, that was the best quote. Who was that? Oh god. Uh, I can't remember but that was hilarious. I forget uh, Buffalo I, takes so much shit. But I think it I think it was Kevin Clark on the Ringer podcast who said what if Philip Rivers lived in Buffalo? Would he just have like 27 kids? It just that's uh, this is the the alternative the alternative reality I want to. I do in. remember the quote though, which was amazing, which was the only thing to do in Buffalo is each other. Yes, uh, that which, is correct. Uh, is just fantastic. Just a, an excellent piece of work there. It was Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews is the one having Buffalo kids. That's exactly <laughs> who it is. But but if you're Ken Wizen Hunt and you're Philip Rivers, where where do you attack? You're, you're running the Yolo Bolo offense. Who do you hit? This feels like a trick question because I I think the answer is. Uh, wherever you want is is that a is that an option that is uh, an option <laughs> i th- i mean i i think i guess realistically you're probably looking at the outside right so um if there is an area of coverage on the 49ers defense right now that i think is probably strongest you're looking to the inside where you have reuben foster who didn't necessarily have the best first game back but um i i think is very much a player that you expect to be uh very good in coverage consistently Fred Warner has been, I think, very impressive so far through the first three weeks and is is kind of been everything we hoped he would be uh, transitioning from the role he had in college as a coverage defender. So I think that area is something that I expect as long as those two players are on the field, they should be able to match up pretty well there on the inside, right, and have those those two guys take care of business. Um, but on the outside, no Richard Sherman. You have a Keller Witherspoon who has been uh, you know, struggling so far has kind of been dealing with some stuff. Which doesn't it seem like a bit like an overreaction that the Niners were like, hey, you know what? You had one bad game. Let's go ahead and bench you. Man, I, I am. Uh, that really kind of bothered me. Uh, I'm very much hoping that that was a reaction to like a precaution for injury, right? Because they did say that uh, he was dealing with an ankle injury. I, I don't know love, how much I would of that's love to, BS. I would love to think that, but then he ended up playing 40 snaps. Right. So it's like, how bad could it have been? Um, I, I I, mean, I agree. I, I think it, it, if if you're really going off that one game, which, look, he it was a rough game and he wasn't great. There's no reason to sugarcoat it. Uh, he had some penalties that were there that were maybe a tad questionable, but it was just kind of piling on at that point. Uh, to not give him an opportunity as good as he's been 
previously and as talented as he is to not give him an opportunity to really bounce back from that and say that, you know what, we're going to go away from you. I think that's another poor personnel decision that I would point to defensively from Robert Sala. But uh, yeah, I think outside right now is the the place that you're looking to attack, right? Jimmy Ward, I just don't think is a, is a great outside corner, especially in this matchup where you have big physical receivers that they like to put outside guys like Mike Williams. Yeah. Um, Mike Williams is going to eat, on the outside, if he it's, goes against anyone that is, I don't know, not good slash not Richard. <laughs> right. And then you have, you know, who even knows what's going to happen with safety safeties at this point. I mean, uh, we're, we've already been without Jaquaski tart for a couple games now. Uh, it don't know if he's going to be back. Adrian Colbert didn't practice today. Don't know what his status is going to be. So if suddenly you're looking at, uh, like DJ Reed and, and what Antoine Exum, Exum as the, uh, the strong safety there, who didn't have a, a great game this last week either. So it's going to be tough. I mean, the secondary is not in good shape. Um, I will say that, you know, not as much specific to this matchup. I would really love to see uh, Tavarius Moore get some snaps. I would too. I, I think at this point, if you're, if you're Robert Sala, and I don't know that he will do this because again, this goes back to kind of the poor personnel decision-making. You've got to understand that Jimmy Ward is gone next year. You are not re-signing that guy to a contract. You're just not. And, and so you have to play your guys, and you've got to see what they've got because they're going to learn better from playing. And at this point, I, I don't know. This is where I think it's difficult for us as fans slash you're an actual paid analyst. I am. I pretend to be one on radio. <laughs> um I would. I, it's easy for us to say. I think yes. See what you have in those guys, but these guys also are trying to win games, and Definitely. and yeah. they're and they've got to think to themselves. Okay, yes. I, in a perfect world, I love to just have an experiment in a petri dish where I'm playing these young guys. But if I don't win games, I could lose my job, and that means losing you know X, Y, and Z, and moving my family and blah blah blah. So I, I think it's difficult in that regard, and I think that's why Sala probably hangs on to the Malcolm Smiths of the world and 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 plays Jimmy Ward and doesn't play uh Tarvarius more but I think in a perfect world you're thinking of the future and this is why Shanahan has a six-year deal Sala doesn't right uh, I was gonna say like you know this is uh in general NFL situations for coaches aren't great right it's just you're you're, you're almost kind of counting the days till you're gonna get fired it's just a matter of when not if and, and so I don't blame him for some of those decisions like that. If that's really what you're doing is like, Hey man, I got to try to keep my job. Right. I, I need to, to put out the best product I can right now. I don't know that he's necessarily in jeopardy. I don't think that there's a lot of pressure that, that for him to actually, uh, you know, where they're looking to replace him. I don't think that Shanahan's going to move that direction. I think they kind of know the, the one thing that I very much appreciated about Shanahan and John Lynch, uh, so far is they seem very realistic and aware of what their situation has been at any given time, right? Early on, before Jimmy Garoppolo happened, they knew that this wasn't happening right away. This roster was still a little bit away. Even with Jimmy, they were still kind of trying to pump the brakes a little bit and say like, hey, we're, we're still working on this, right? We know that this is going to be more of a long-term thing, and I think that's been a, a realistic vision for this. And so I, I think, while yes, you, you certainly don't expect them to be like, hey, we're just going to look to tank for draft position or something like that. I, I think there is an element of, okay, we feel fairly comfortable. We know that this season is kind of a lost cause because we just lost our quarterback. No reasonable person is going to expect them to be able to go and compete this season uh, you know, for playoffs or anything like that. 
we do need to be realistic and, and, and kind of manage the situation differently than we would have if Jimmy was there and see what we have, right? And, and, and find out, like, especially with guys like Tavarius Moore, I feel like, who's making a position change, right? Is this going to be, we need to figure out if this is a Solomon Thomas situation where maybe that position change isn't great. Maybe he shouldn't be an outside corner and we need to figure out ways to get him involved inside more as a slot guy or as a safety, safety, right? And some of the sub packages. So I think those are things that you do need to figure out at some point this season. All right. So what matchups will you be watching against the chargers? Because this is another thing you're going to steal from Jared. Yes. I mean, only because he got the chance to talk first, which is bullshit. I'm going to say I have six years on this. I grant the ability to talk and I gave it to Jared in that moment. And uh, it was great. I mean, Derwin James, George Kittle is going to be the, the the fun one to watch. Right. I mean, Derwin James was a, a guy that we were very high in was probably my favorite player. I mean, it was him and Harold Landry right at the top of this yep. draft for me that that I wanted them to look at uh, with that that first pick. So He's been excellent so far. I think George Kittle, again, as we talked about uh, in the spotlight session, is is really coming into his own and has been a great player so far. And and you want to see how he handles this type of matchup. Uh, and and well, it, I think I think it'll be interesting to see how the Chargers deploy uh, Derwin James because yeah. Derwin James has been playing all over the field. And and I remember we joked that Derwin James might be the best edge rusher on the Niners if the Niners drafted him. And sure enough. He's got like what six pressures on the quarterback so far this season, dude. Yeah, he's uh, he's killing it. Like he's everything so, that you expected him to be going into it. Like I'm he's curious, lining up everywhere. I'm curious if the if the Chargers are going to say, you know what, take away the the Niners' number one option, which at this point seems to be George Kittle, yeah, or if they're going to continue to deploy him all over the field and say we can handle George Kittle otherwise, because how another team treats Kittle is, I think, an indication of how defenses see him. Uh, do they see him as a product of the system or do they see him as someone who has in, an individual can excel and succeed? And if so, I think they probably have James follow him and erase him because James has the ability to erase tight ends. And, and if they don't, then I think that tells you more about how at least the, the Chargers defense sees George Kittle. Definitely. And I, I think if they don't decide to do that, that is an area that they could potentially like the, the Chargers linebackers aren't all that good, right? Like really their strength uh, has come from having a great secondary, having a great pair of edge rushers who, you know, thankfully they, there's no Joey Bosa in this game for the 49ers still have Mel- Melvin Ingram to deal with or not Melvin Ingram. That's the running back. Oh, uh, uh, no. Melvin Gordon is the running back. Melvin Gordon. Oh, yeah. OK, so it is yeah. Melvin. Ingram. OK, my bad. Confusing, Don't get confusing names. Multiple Melvins. Multiple Melvins. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, that is an area if they decide not to really have Derwin be the guy that's going to be the primary cover guy. And I could see them. It doesn't necessarily have to be every snap, right? But it's certainly in, in more critical situations on third down. Once you get down into the red zone, if they happen to ever make it there, uh, like those are the situations where you really expect Derwin to be able to go uh, and, and kind of match up with him more one-on-one because he's their guy right now. Kittle is, is their go-to receiver. He's the most productive player, I think, in this offense right now. Uh, he's the one in the middle of the field, which is the area that Kyle Shanahan really likes to, to attack. So yeah, I think that's the thing that I'm going to be watching for sure. I think that's absolutely going to be the marquee matchup, but the, the other matchup that I'll be watching is going to be how the tackles and specifically Mike McGlinchey matches up against, uh, Melvin Ingram, because this is going to be one of the true tests for the, the progression for the rookie right tackle. 
this is a player, Melvin Ingram, who does move around the Chargers defense. He's not going to rush just specifically from one side. He moves from one side to the other. And originally we thought that McGlinchey was going to be a better run blocker than he was a pass blocker. He's had up and down games in, in either category. He's had some games where he was a better run blocker, some games where he was a better pass blocker. And I think going up against an elite run or an elite pass rusher is going to be a test for him and especially protecting someone like CJ Beathard, who is very, very good at being a tackling dummy, but is not <laughs> someone you want to be a tackling dummy. I think it's going to be a good test. The, the Chargers defense is on the whole not good, but they do have fantastic pieces and you've got to expect the Chargers to come in and play a lot of man defense. They're probably going to do exactly what the Lions did and, and CJ Beathard is going to need to be able to leverage what the scheme gets him and hopefully the tackles can protect for him and if they can and the Niners can leverage the run game they have a fighting chance if any one of those things falls apart if they don't play a perfect game on offense this game could get ugly quick I mean there's a reason the Niners are 10 and a half game uh, a 10 and a half point underdogs that that's not uh, an easy spread to cover uh, and so we get to prediction time we'll we'll go ahead and throw in Jared's prediction here uh, because he's in absentia he predicted the Niners would cover the spread, but lose the game. That they would probably lose by 10, but since the spread was 10.5, they still cover. Uh, David, what do you think? I, I think about the same, right? I, I think maybe a little bit different game script than what uh, Jared had in mind from what we were talking about before. I, I think it's more of a blowout early, honestly. Like I, I, I think that they're going to be able to, uh, they're, they're going to struggle to be able to stop the Chargers' offense. I think you're going to see them kind of do whatever they want for most of the game. And so I could definitely see a situation where they get uh, up big early, kind of like the Kansas city game. And then maybe in the second half, something like that, when things slow down a bit, you see the 49ers uh, get some kind of garbage time points there and, and make things look a little bit closer than it actually was. Um, I'm going to go cover and lose as well. I just, because I mean, 10 and a half points is a lot. 10 and a half points is a, is a lot. You're, you're usually, not looking to bet on that. Uh, it's not the smart pick to go. Like that's really there to kind of entice you that this is an uneven matchup. Uh, there's going, not a lot of games. You're going the Buffalo route. You're saying Buffalo's get you, you can't cover 14 points or what it was 16 and a half is what it was for Buffalo. It was not great. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they cover. I don't think they cover. And if they lose, obviously uh, I think they end up losing by 13 points, maybe 14. And, and while I would love to say that the Niners have it in them to, to cover the spread, I just, uh, I think they would have had I think this would have been a tough game for them to win, even if Jimmy Garoppolo were in just because of the the way everything would have shook out. And I think with CJ Beathard in there, it just makes it all the more difficult. So, yeah, uh, I think at this point, it's tank top season, man. We're falling in to fall and uh, I'm going to have an elegant tank, a very, very elegant tank, because while I do not think in any way, shape or form that the 49ers coaches are intentionally losing, I as a fan from the outside think we should lose gracefully. Uh, and, and go ahead and, and reintroduce the elegant tank. Is that if you wanted to kind of start watching some Nick Bosa tape um, from last season, the elegant it, tank it is indeed a waste of your time. Uh, it's indeed back. It's a thing. We're back. And honestly, hey, you know this could be a blessing in disguise. This could be a lost year. We gain more talent. We get an edge rusher, and now we go after the league and take it by storm in 2019 when Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be um, 37. Come on. Yeah. He's not that old. No, 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 no. He'll, Come on. He, he won't retire uh, before Brady. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, plot twist. 
CJ Beathard takes the league by storm, ends up taking the Niners to eight and eight. They still miss the playoffs, but he has such a great year. The Niners trade him to New England for draft capital. Oh, man. And then he becomes the heir apparent to Brady. And all of a sudden, you have a Beathard Garoppolo Super Bowl, and it is beat harder three, beat the hardest. Here's what I will say. Last thing that that just reminded me of. Uh, I've actually been very against, I think we've both kind of been on the same page here, uh, against trading Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward, even though it was likely that they were going to move on. I mean, obviously, um, we have all the injuries in the secondary right now. Jimmy Ward's getting some snaps. Right. Like, you just, you, when you're a competitive team, you need that sort of depth, right? You want, like, even though they may seem like a little redundant without a, a clear home right now, like, you're going to deal with injuries. Having those type of players uh, to be able to go to is is valuable that no longer matters this year. They, they're not going to be good and competitive uh, on the whole this season. Like if you can flip those players, like again, I still think Jimmy Ward is a valuable piece for a lot of teams. I think Eric Armstead is a talented player. They just don't seem to be players that have a long-term fit on this team. If you can flip them for something for a, for a mid round pick, anything like I think that's something that you need to really explore before the trade deadline. All year. I'm saying is Fitzmagic could use a little bit of Ward in his life. That's just what I'm saying. Uh, I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, part two of the same episode, I think. We are now too deep. We've done this twice. It's been great. Special thanks to guest Jared Brown, uh, who was not here with us. He was with us in spirit. Uh, <laughs> I, I swear I'm going to post the, the episode just with the blanks for Jared. We'll have moments of silence. Audio Madlib. Uh, audio silence for Jared. But you can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you on your new fancy handle? Hey, look at that. It's going to be at PFF underscore David. There's still an underscore in There's there because you know that one's so much easier. You know your roots. Uh, we, we will indeed have a, an actual sale for merch. The, if you are interested in buying merch, we're going to have a sale for International Podcast Day or maybe National Podcast Day. I'm not sure. Maybe we build a wall around it and call it National Podcast Day. And so there's going to be a discount code that we're going to tweet out. So if you've been on the fence about getting merch, definitely wait until Sunday the 30th to get your merch. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.